Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and I'm so excited because my friend Carrie Newhoff is back in the studio with me today to talk about how to improve your productivity by working when you are at your best. We began this conversation last month, and I could not wait to finish it because this content is out of his brand new book, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Carrie, welcome back. For those of you who don't know Carrie, you have been missing out. He's a best-selling leadership author, speaker, podcaster, a former attorney. Um, he hosts one of today's most influential leadership podcasts, and his podcast, along with his blog and his online content, are accessed over a million and a half times every month. So that's pretty amazing. And he literally speaks to leaders all around the world on leadership, change, and personal growth. Um, last month, as I mentioned, we began a conversation about Carrie's new book. It's entitled "At Your Best: How to Get Time, Energy." and priorities working in your favor. Now, today, we're going to pick up a little bit about, you know, where we left off. Before we do that, Carrie, if you would, for those of our audience who missed last month's podcast episode, would you just catch us up? And specifically, if you would, talk a little bit about the stress spiral and then the thrive cycle. That was so helpful. Well, the stress spiral is where we find ourselves most of the time these days in life. Everybody finds themselves overwhelmed, overcommitted, and overworked. It's just sort of the default. Like, unless yep. you decide that's not how you're going to live, that's how you're going to live. And technology, which I'm a fan of, uh, that's how we're listening to podcasts like this. And, you know, I run a digital company these days. And, and uh, I mean, so I'm not, I'm not a Luddite. But um, it creates real boundary issues to the point where we live in this zone where we're never really on and we're never really off, right? You're doing email at eight o'clock while you're trying to watch Disney Plus with your daughter. And uh, you know, you're, you're scrolling Amazon for something at 10 a.m. at the office. And so we're in this, this gray zone, it seems, most of the time. And people are pretty exhausted. Um, we keep looking to time off to heal us. So we're running to vacations, we're running for the weekend, we're living for days off. And the problem is time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend time on. So we learned that. And uh, it's, it leads a lot of people into full-on burnout, but we didn't touch on this, Andy. I think there is a condition, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a psychologist, but uh, I call it low-grade burnout. And that is where the functions of life continue, but the joy of life is gone. Wow. Say that one more time. Yeah, I call it low-grade burnout. The functions of life continue, yep. but the joy of life is gone. Now, that reminds me of a John Mellencamp song. Oh, yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I, I think a lot of people get there. And and the problem with low-grade burnout is you're not thriving. You're just in the stress spiral. Life yep. is bad. Maybe you switch spouses. Maybe you change jobs. Maybe you move to a different city. But you bring you everywhere you go. Yep. And it seems like there's no escape. So you dream of escape. One day I'll retire. You know, one day I'll get a month off. One day, one day I'll get a house on the lake. One day I'll, I'll do this. But meanwhile, your life stinks. So that's the stress spiral. And we, we justify it, Andy. You, you would relate to this, I'm sure, because you lead so many people. But we tell ourselves, it's just a busy season. It's just a busy season. <laughs> right. You know right? what? You know where I first heard that? Was from my dad. Really? My dad. His, his, go, his default was, you know what? This is just, there, there's just a, this is really busy season right now. And he was a great dad. We had vacations and all that. But that was, his, that was his default. It was, this is just a busy season. And I heard it so much, I would push back on it and say, Dad, 
it's always a busy season. You know, the end of a busy season, there's no solution. And he would just laugh because he realized, oh, yeah, I say that a lot, don't I? I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't ever remember you saying, oh, guess what? I've gotten to the end of that busy season. You know, now it's not going to end for, for productive people who love what they do and are, you know, infatuated with progress. Well, yeah, I'm giving you the long answer here, but we're getting into territory we didn't cover. And here's here's the challenge. I used to say that too. I used to be like your dad, and my friends started to call me on it. And then it dawned on me: seasons have beginnings and endings. And if your season, busy season, has no ending, it's not a busy season. It's your life. Hmm. And that leads us to the thrive cycle, which is the opposite of the stress spiral. So stress spiral, overwhelmed, overcommitted, overworked. Thrive cycle, um, you focus your time, you leverage your energy, and you start to realize your priorities. All those things you wanted to get done. One day I'm going to write a book. One day I'm going to launch a podcast. One day I'm going to sit down with the sales department. We're going to solve that problem. One day I'm going to get to that campus, that location. We're going to fix that thing. And you never get it done. One day I'm going to have a weed-free garden, somebody told me once, (laughs) right? All those things that you're like, one day. The, The summary of that is you live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Right. Live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And you do that mainly by learning how to do what you're best at when you're at your best. So if you think about your day, and we touched on this last time, green, yellow, red zone. Uh, green zone, those three to five hours where you're at your best. You're at your peak. You're thinking clearly. And usually for most people, that happens at the same time every day. For morning people, it happens in the morning. Night owls, it happens in the evening. A lot of people are afternoon people. Um, Red zone is those one or two hours where you're just tired, trying to stay awake. And yellow zone is everything in between. So the key is to take your most important activities, do them in your green zone. And as we talked about last time, you get that done. You get the weekend message done. I, I get the book written. And like, whew, that chapter is in and I can relax. Now I can go into my meeting. So do that stuff in your green zone. After our recording last month, um, you may remember this, Susie Gray, our producer, the two of you began talking and she said that you actually presented this content to her team. And after the content was presented and they began to discuss, they realized that they were having their most important meetings during the time when most people on her team were in their red zone. So they just hadn't thought about it. They just looked at the schedule, the rhythm of the organization. We've always done it this way. We've always met at this time. And when they went around and talked about their green, yellow, and red zone, she thought to herself, well, gee, all I need to do is just shift the time of the meeting. And, you know, the results were noticeable because there's a time when we're all at our best. And as a team leader, to know that about, especially my direct reports, that's very important. So there are ripple effects to this. It's not just the individual getting more accomplished, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you know, it, it made me think when Susie talked about that, and I've had other people share that feedback to CEOs, leaders, uh, it could be when you're in that one meeting with that one person, you, you know, and you walk out of the meeting and go, oh, we got to get rid of Justin, you know, he's so grumpy. He's so grumpy, such a deadbeat, never contributes anything. Well, what if that's you just caught him in his red zone week after week after yep. week? Yep. And that's not fair. So, I mean, it's good to work through this material, discuss it with your team, and you're going to enjoy your meetings a lot more. The other thing you'll discover is, Andy, they'll be shorter. Or longer, necessarily, right? Mm. But there's that meeting where everybody's just like, oh my gosh, it's like, could this could this just end? Yep. And if everyone's energized, you'll either get out of there faster or you'll have a dynamic 90-minute meeting that will accomplish a lot more. Well, while we're on that, um, 
it's easier for CEOs and senior leaders, obviously, to control their time or sole proprietors or people with super small companies where they don't have to be sensitive to so many people. You know, and I'm in that situation. I have control over the calendar. I, I call most of the meetings, right? So what advice do you have for people who don't have control over their calendars, um, like most senior leaders do, because they're listening to this going, I know exactly what you're talking about. And if, if, <laughs> if the day could begin at 1 p.m., I would be so much more productive, but they want me to be there at 8 a.m. So, you know, very few of us have that much autonomy or control. So what's your advice to them? Is this, is it hopeless? Is this pointless or what can they do? Yeah, it's a very real concern. So the book's brand new. It's just releasing this month, but I've been working on this material for years now and had a chance to talk to thousands of leaders about it. And that is a number one objection. It's like, Carrie, you were an attorney, the lead pastor. Now you run your own company. Like you, you have control, you have yeah. autonomy, which is totally true. And here's what I would say. Start here. Focus on what you can control, not on what you can't. So let's break down a work week. We all get 168 hours in a week. Um, a, a work week is 40-ish hours, could be 35 on the low side, 55 on the high side. But let's just say for argument's sake, you have a 40-hour work week. And I've surveyed literally hundreds, probably thousands of leaders in different events I've done. And I've asked them this question. I'm like, okay, so if your 40-hour work week, how much of that is determined by your boss? Like, command performance meetings. We always do leadership team Tuesday at 11 a.m. I have to be at the sales meeting at three or this location meeting, you know, Fridays at four o'clock. I have never heard anybody say more than 20 hours. Now, hmm. nobody who works in a white collar setting. Now, if you're, you know, doing lattes at Starbucks all day, it's a different context, but you still have 128 hours a week of your life. And everything you're doing with those hours is your choice, like all the outings with the kids at night and the things you take on, but let's get back to the work week, 10 to 12 hours. Let's say it's 20 hours, which is on the super high side from everybody, the thousands of leaders I've talked to. You know what that gives you? That gives you control over 88% of your hours in a week, hmm. which is insane. Like, And what I tend to do as a human is I tend to focus on what I can't control. I can't control traffic, so I get upset in traffic. I can, I can control my attitude, but don't ask me to control my attitude about traffic. And so I would start there. The second thing I would do, I've learned a lot of this from you and from our mutual friend, Clay Scroggins, who you've had on the podcast before, but express desires, not demands. I think I took that from you, Andy, right? So don't go into your boss and go, I can't do the meeting at nine o'clock on Tuesday. Just say, hey, Andy, I was reading this book and, you know, mornings are really, really hard for me. I'm just wondering, because I want to perform well and I want to deliver on the organization's goals. Would it be possible to move this meeting? And maybe your boss says no. Well, then your boss is at least aware that, okay, Carrie really struggles with mornings and he's going to be a, a little bit of a laggard. Uh, at least he might show up on time, but he might not be all there. The third thing I would say, and I think I got this from Clay, is be ridiculously good at what you do. Yep. If you're really good at what you do, if you're performing, if you're delivering results and you go in and you express desires, not demands, then I think your boss is going to say, it's almost like Tim Ferriss talked about this in the four-hour work week. If you can show a proposal like Andy, 
I'm going to produce better messages on the weekend. I think we can grow this location by 10% over the next year. Um, I, I want to see my team more engaged at work. We did a Gallup survey and only 68% are engaged. I want to move that to 80%. In order to do that, I need to make these two or three changes to my calendar. Are you open to that, Andy? Like, how does that feel to you as a boss? Yeah, well, if that's the proposal and the thing I would add is, let me try this for three months. Yes. And then in three months, let's evaluate. Now, I ask that you not evaluate me along the way let's not talk about this for three months, okay? Because there may be an off week or the first two weeks don't work. So give me three months, no evaluation, then we sit down and evaluate. I mean, a reasonable manager or boss is going to be like, hey, if I'm going to, if you're going to be more productive, let's try. That's not my thing. I think everybody should be here at 7 a.m., you know, not 9 a.m. But right. hey, if that's, if that's your deal and you've made the proposal and you give me a time frame and you have anchored it to we are going to have another meeting. Now, I don't feel the pressure to monitor this and make comments all along the way. That's not even helpful. We're just going to let it run evaluate at the end. You know, this actually mirrors a a famous story from the Old Testament when Daniel went to the king's steward and said, hey, this food you're feeding everybody else, um, I would like to not eat that food because it offends me religiously. So I have an idea. I'm going to eat some different food for this period of time, and then you evaluate my health. And if I'm in decline, you know, I'm not up to par, then, hey, we'll do something else. And so I, I think that's not only reasonable, I mean, that's probably the way forward for a lot of folks listening who don't feel like they have, you know, they don't have control. They can't just decide when to do things and when not to do things. So I think that's a great response. The other thing I would say to Andy is, let's say you have the unreasonable boss and there are unreasonable bosses. What? You're still probably left over with 88% of your week that you can do something with. You choose when to go to bed. You choose how long to sleep. You choose what activities to say yes to. You choose um, how many nights out you're going to be uh, every week. You choose all of that. And I think we default to, well, the kids have got, like, you know, you've raised kids, I've raised kids. My wife, Tony, and I, we made a decision, even though we only had two kids, um, they were all going to do one sport and one music lesson. And that was all we felt we could handle. I was trying to lead a church at the time and she was working at a hospital and, you know, that was all we could handle. And those are choices you have, or I'm going to put a date night on the calendar. We still do that every Friday night. Those are choices you have and you have control over that, but we think we don't. And we can get into, if you want to, people hijacking our priorities because you're like, Carrie, you haven't looked at my phone. I've got like 1,700 unreturned texts and emails of people who want me to do this and want me to do that. And yeah, this is what will hijack your priorities. That is. Yeah. So actually, I wrote that down because you talk about this. What is the relationship between trying to control what we can to stay in our green zone with our priorities and all of the, these things that come in. And, uh, you know, that's the perfect term. It's people who hijack. Because if somebody wants time in my green zone, mm-hmm. that's just a no, unless it's an emergency. Right. When my kids were super little, um, I just decided I was going to be home at 430. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had two in diapers, three in diapers for a minute. My standard answer and my assistant's standard answer is Andy cannot meet you at four. He can't meet you at 5. He can't meet you after work. He'll meet you at 5.30 a.m. He is available Mm. at 5.30 a.m. If you want him, he's not saying no, but, you know, I had to control the time. Otherwise, people would hijack my priorities. So, and I'm sure you've had this experience. There were mornings, not many, where I would have three breakfasts. 
Now, there were many mornings I had two because people needed to meet, and I'll be there as early as you want me to be there. But I won't meet you at 4. I won't meet you at 4.30. I can't meet you after work. So, again, it wasn't a no, but I knew where my red zone was. I knew where I needed to be in terms of my family's red zone. Cassandra's red zone was 4 o'clock. She was tired. She was worn out. So Mm. that was kind of part of my strategy. I think it's a brilliant strategy, Andy. And I've had to develop a similar thing. I used to do breakfast meetings all the time. And then as I stumbled on this material and came on the other side of burnout, I realized, wait, I can do a lunch meeting or a coffee in my yellow zone. But I know if I don't get that message written, if I don't get that blog post done, if I don't get that you know, strategy session finished in my green zone, which in my case is 7 to 11 a.m., like you know how breakfast meetings work unless you're super efficient. You meet them at the restaurant at 7 a.m. and it goes till 8.30. It was supposed to be an hour, but it's an hour and a half. And then you drop by Starbucks on the way back to the office. Then you get into the office and Diane wants to talk to you and Sarah wants to talk to you and Susie wants to talk to you. And then it's 10.30. It's 10.30 and you're tired. You already did a day. Yeah, yeah. And that's how other people hijack your priorities because this is all theory. So here's 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 a, a, a reality I had to come to terms with. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a true thing. Nobody will ever ask you to accomplish your top priorities. They will only ever ask you to accomplish theirs. Wow. So every email you get, every text you get, every knock on the door is someone saying, Andy, Andy, I'd love you to be a guest on my podcast, you know, or Andy, hey, can you do this event? We got a leadership conference. Hey, Andy, can you, you know, attend my son's wedding and officiate there? It's like, that is the life of a leader. And uh, one of the things that really helped me, two things actually, is learning the art of saying no. And to be honest with you, Andy, we've known each other for a long, long time. You've really taught me so much in this department and I remember one of the first times I sat in a smaller venue with you and you were talking, you had a million demands on your time and your kids were still at home. And you had one guy, you were using this as an example of somebody who wanted to meet with you. And uh, you just said, no, I, I can't meet with you. And your answer went something like this. You're like, if I met with you, you wouldn't love the church that it created and you wouldn't even want to go to that church anymore. So I can't meet with you and I'll never meet with you. Do you remember that? Yes. It was actually a a woman. She came up after service Okay, and she just insisted, I need to meet with you. I said, we can help you. Our church can help you, but I can't help you. It's got to be you. It's got to be you. It's got to be. And and she just would not give it up. And, and, she, and again, when people ask these questions, they're thinking, well, what about Thursday at three? What about Thursday at four? In other words, surely there's a time. And I was trying to say categorically, I can't meet with you. So finally I said, here's the problem. If I met with you, you wouldn't want to attend this church. If I met with you, you wouldn't even want to meet with me. And of course that she just looked at me and I thought, I can't explain it any further, but to your point, if I said yes to all those requests, it affects the organization. Eventually, the people (laughs) who think they have to meet with me won't even be around because the organization suffers. So, yes, I, I remember that conversation. Clearly, I have not forgotten that, Andy. That was about 15 years ago, and it made a big impact. What I think my exact quote was now, the reason I can't meet with you is the reason you love our church. That's what it was. The reason I can't meet with you is the reason you love our church. That's what it was. That's a great answer. If you're leading a staff of more than half a dozen, or you're leading an organization with more than 50 people somehow associated with your organization, which is 90% of the people who are listening to this podcast, you're in the same shoes that Andy's in, that I'm in. I mean, when you got 
leaders accessing my content a million and a half times, two million times a month, like you wouldn't believe the email we get. Andy, it's crazy. And everybody can speak at this. Can you do this? And it's a privilege. But if I did that, I wouldn't be able to do my leadership podcast. I wouldn't be able to finish a book. I wouldn't be able to lead my team. I wouldn't, I'm sure, be married, you know, or at least happily married. Like I've got a life I need to live as well. And so learning how to say no nicely. So I'll bring my Canadian into this. It's like, thank them for, hey, thank you so much for thinking of me. I'd love to speak at your event. However, and then a clear no, uh, given to, even if you have the space open, like there are many times where I'll be invited to do an event and I look at it, it's November 22nd and I'm actually home, but I realize I've got a, you know, this going on and a book deadline and I got this going on and I'm, I'm out on the road twice that month. So even the calendar's open, it's a wiser thing to say no. So in light of my current commitments, I am going to say no, or unfortunately I have to decline. Thank you so much for thinking me. If you can redirect, do it, you know, so-and-so would be happy to help you or whatever. Uh, And people respect that. And scarcity actually creates value, right? When you're not available, your time and your influence becomes more available. The other thing I would say is categorical decision-making really, really helped. It's kind of like the, you know, Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg do it where they wear the same clothes every day. It's just, you go into their closet, it's like a hundred black turtlenecks or something like that and khaki pants. What is that? That's decision fatigue. It's like, I don't have to think about what to eat for breakfast. I don't have to think about what to wear. They made a categorical decision. So one thing you can do to free that up, I had to do this just, I'm pulling into my pastoral background, but I decided, because our church, it's not as large as North Point, but I bet you there's four to 5,000 people who call our church home. I just decided years ago when I was still leading it, I'm not doing weddings. I just, I'll make exceptions. If you're related to me or you're my assistant, I'll do your wedding. And they're like, well, that's not fair. It's like, well, if you want to be my assistant and you decide to get married, then I'll do your (laughs) wedding, right? So uh, I'd stop breakfast meetings for the large part that it was interrupting my green zone and I switched them to coffees or afternoon meetings. Um, I only do so many speaking engagements a month. Um, I had someone on my team when she was a young mom just parenting, you know, first days of, of Um, you know, being a mom a few years ago, she got invited to all those network marketing events where they're selling, I don't know, Tupperware or scented candles or whatever. And she just said, I can't go there. I don't have the budget. So she would reply to her friends and just say, "Uh, listen, I'm happy to get together for coffee. I don't go to events like that. Nothing personal, but I just, that's something I don't do. And we never give ourselves permission to say no to whole categories of our lives. And our our rude introduction to that, Andy, and a tragic one was COVID. I thought I had to travel less. And then all of a sudden, a global pandemic made that decision for me. So it was 16 months until I got on a plane again. And that sort of recalibrated my life. Burnout will do that to you too. Your, Your whole body resets, right? It's the classic CEO who has a heart attack and goes, huh, better not eat as many French fries, I guess, or, you know, maybe I should start running yep. or, uh, you know, you, you go through a season of burnout and that's where I found the thrive cycle and calendar my life to it. But yeah, we have permission to say no and healthy people will respect you for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Sandra and I, early on when our kids were little, had what we called the no for now, but not forever list. Mm. No for now, but not forever. Here are categories to your point. We pick categories and we just said no to those categories. It was no for now because we're in a season with little kids, but not forever. These aren't bad things. We'll do those later. No for now, but not forever. As we wrap up, anything you'd like to close with? Any topic we just we didn't touch on that you feel like is central to this that we skipped over? I would suggest uh, stop hijacking yourself. 
because you can do everything we've talked about in our time together on the last episode in this episode. You can have it all set up. It's a beautiful theory. So many of us are uncomfortable with quiet. You can get into a quiet environment for your green zone. You can clear your calendar. You can say, okay, I'm going to write that chapter. I'm going to launch that podcast. I'm going to do the offsite. Next thing you know, you're scrolling Instagram. You're responding to 15 text messages that came in. You've heard it a million times that I would say, shut off all notifications on all of your devices. Get comfortable with silence. That is where your creative juices will flow. You'll also find as you get into your green zone that um, sitting at the computer and trying to produce what you're trying to produce isn't always the best strategy. So for me, as a content creator, uh, often I'll get on my bike during my green zone and I'll do a 45 minute or one hour ride. Like even today, I was out there before our interview, Andy, and um, I, I just have this like voice dictation in my AirPods and I got like five new ideas hmm. for things I wanted to write about in the next month. And I just kind of dictated them into my phone and away I go because that the, the, the science, the brain science we're learning actually says that that's often where our creativity comes from. You go for a walk around the woods, you walk around the office, you uh, go sit on a park bench and look at the blue sky and suddenly it hits you. So that is a very good use of your green zone. But what that takes is disciplined, undistracted thought. Mm. And you're going to have to get really comfortable with silence. As an introvert, you probably don't struggle with that. I'm increasingly an introvert. <laughs> but extroverts, that silence will be so uncomfortable. But that's becoming at peace with yourself. And it's the way people used to live. So stop distracting yourself because that's a significant issue. Leverage that green zone. Um, do what you're best at when you're at your best. You'll start living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And I think... That will reshape everything. It has for me. I feel way more alive at 56. We talked about our ages than I did at 36. And I'm accomplishing, like, I can't, I can't even imagine. If you showed 36-year-old me a picture of my life now, I'd be like, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, I was managing a fraction of what I had, running haggard, stuck in the stress spiral. And now I'm like, you know, I went for a bike ride today. I'm going for a boat ride after this interview. Like, a boat ride? You know, a boat ride. Yeah, can it go out on the lake, Andy? You have time for that and to do the things that are most important. And uh, you really do have the time. You just have to admit you didn't make it. Wow. Well, the book is At Your Best, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor by our friend, Carrie Newhoff. Carrie, this has been fantastic. Honestly, a little bit convicting, a little bit convicting, um, but super helpful. So if you did not hear last month's um, Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast episode, please go back and listen to the first part of this super helpful conversation. And make sure you check out the book, but also drop by andystanley.com, andystanley.com, and you can download a leadership podcast application guide that we wrote specifically for this conversation. And if this is a conversation you're having with your entire team, we will include some questions that will help keep that conversation going or at least help you get it started. Again, thanks for joining us. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Can't wait to see you uh, next time our paths cross. And for all of our podcast listeners, we will see you next month.